Welcome to X-Rated Movies. I'm one half of your hosting team, Matthew Fisher. I am the other half of your hosting team, Ryan Whedon. And today, we're talking. <laughs> I, had uh, no- I had nothing to go off of that. This is like starting a knock-knock joke where I tell you to start it. Knock-knock. <laughs> <laughs> knock. <gasps> Who's there? Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, no, Matt, I think there's something that we need to talk about. It's, it's sort of the elephant oh, in God, the nation. Are you breaking up with me? There's a movement that's going on in this country that I find completely unfathomable that this is something that's happening. And uh, I think we need to talk about it. And I'm talking about flat earthers. Oh, (laughs) I thought you were going to talk about like people who want, you know, more fruit on pizza or something. (laughs) No, I recently saw that fucking CBS Sunday morning gave these kooks uh, a segment. Why? This is like anti-vaxxer shit where, I'm sorry, we shouldn't call them anti-vaxxer. That's too negative. Uh, This is like pro-diseasers shit. (laughs) Like the more exposure you give it, the more nutbags are going to become a part of it. Yeah, there's somebody who's watching that's like, I always thought the world was flat, but I thought I was the only one. (laughs) Listen, everyone, I think we should take a moment to use this platform to just say, the earth is not flat. NASA is not a vast conspiracy theory, okay? Like, they actually are scientific individuals dedicated to exploring space. If any one of these flat earthers uses a smartphone, I swear to God, I will throw a table through their face. (laughs) If any of them uses any technology that relies on satellites, like, then they need to be pointed out how stupid they are. Matt, I hate to break it to you, but in this segment, there was a moment where there was somebody flying on a plane and they had a, you know, a level, like a you know, construction level, and then they used their phone on time-lapse to see if the level would move because in their eyes, it should move as you go around the globe. And they used the smartphone as like the time-lapse thing. So they are, there are flat earthers using smartphones. I'm sorry. Do they realize that the same science that makes their smartphones work is the same science that can prove that the Earth is round? Like, smartphones rely on satellites. Yeah, triangulation. And And uh, satellites literally go around the planet constantly. Like, literally constantly. These flat earthers also seem to believe that the moon and the sun are actually the same size and uh, just moving in separate ways around our large disc that's just spinning. I don't even know if it's spinning. I don't know what they think. It doesn't fucking matter. How do they explain time zones? I don't know. Like if the earth was flat, then everything on this side of the planet would have a sunset at the same time. Yeah. I don't know. That, that's that's just a, a world I don't want to look into. The backflips that people will go through to justify their beliefs because they aren't witnessing it is remarkable to me. There's just this like movement of solipsism that I do not understand. Like literally the Greeks figured out the earth was round. Yeah. Like they had no telescopes. They had like nothing. Like, and this has been like something we've all been keeping under our hats for <laughs> thousands of years right like i remember ted cruz a couple of years ago was like galileo was like burned at the stake for saying the earth was round it's like no, no, no you were wrong sir like we've known the earth was round for a lot longer than that 
He was front of the stake for saying that the Earth was the Earth was not the center of the universe. Yeah, I mean specifically, flat Earth is like you're taught at a young age. Ha ha ha! Aren't these people stupid for thinking that the Earth is just a flat area with like a you know being carried by a turtle? It's like yeah, that's stupid. Like get with it, and that there's still people who just can't fathom that because they haven't seen it for themselves in 2018 is so mind-boggling to me that i i don't understand i I, and i hope we get some flat earthers coming at us on our twitter because i am i have so many questions (laughs) do you believe so if as a flat earther like do you go to a restaurant no 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 just like i'm to the general flat earth uh populace community yeah if you go to a restaurant and you order food, but you don't see it cooked, like you can't actually see it being prepared for you, do you believe that it just like magically grows out of the ground and then is presented to you on a plate steaming hot? Or do you believe that actually people are in the back like chopping it and cooking it for you and bringing it to your table? Like you didn't see it happen. So like you can't prove that it's not just being pulled out of the ground on the plate steaming hot and delicious for you. So I mean... That's where the logic fails for me is like just because you can't see it isn't an argument that it's not real. I also, speaking for the uh, Magellan estate, (laughs) I'm a little offended on on behalf of, of explorers of yesteryear. Mapping technology is not new. Like we had rough maps like well before satellite technology and uh, this is just really fresh i'm not a cartographer i don't know how they do it this is why people devote themselves to different entries of science because science is hard like i understand it but i also understand that i don't know how my cell phone works but science people do and science people tell me that the earth is round like see my the thing is that you can't prove that there aren't little gnomes inside, uh, little living worms or something that are actually going beep, beep, boop, boop, and I'm like moving wires around. I'm positive that Apple people can tell me that that's not true. <laughs> Look, all I know is that worms are creating uh, the things that are happening in my phone, and uh, I'm standing by that because you can't prove differently. So You know, there's a movie that might uh, back your theory up there. Oh, yeah? <laughs> a movie about... Worms invading our personal space. (gasps) I hope we get to talk about it sometime soon. (laughs) Well, you just might after this break. podcast listeners i'm brian and i'm james and we're your host of a piece of pie the queer film podcast every episode we're going to take two movies or more compare them contrast them and talk about them sometimes we talk about things like terrence malick and his use of handheld cameras or his sparse dialogue and sometimes we talk about alex garland and how he mirrors things in both story and visuals sometimes we just talk about chris evans and his butt or meryl streep and how she might have farted her way to an oscar <laughs> <laughs> that's right so join us we're on stitcher google Play iTunes wherever you get your podcasts. Grinder. Uh, that might just be you, James. <laughs> Maybe. Hey, you podcast listener. Yeah. Hey, listen up. Hey, shut up. <laughs> 
I know you're looking for new things to binge. And purge. (laughs) (laughs) Gayish is about gay stereotypes. We've talked about depression, drag queens. uh, Butt stuff. Fisting. Animals. Uh, Fisting and animals are two different episodes, (laughs) just to clarify. You can find us on iTunes or wherever podcasts are given away for free. Tell your mom. She's probably gay. (laughs) (laughs) And we're back. What were we talking about? Worms. worms. You got worms? Well, I don't know. The doctor says I do, but <laughs> I haven't seen them. So I don't think I do. You cut the one in half and it didn't like grow into two. Yeah. So you're like, not a real worm. Uh, worms. What worm movie are we talking about, Matt? Why, today we're talking about the 1990 film Tremors. Chose this movie, childhood favorite of mine, and uh, in the spirit of the Large Marge Sentas podcast, I am choosing only movies that shape my childhood this season. This one also shaped their childhood. Oh, did so, it? Yeah, did they, they did do an, an episode, episode on Tremors. They sure did. Oh, I was really happy to uh, find out that Sweetie with a I E, I think she called this movie Jaws in the Desert. Yeah, and I have the note. Desert Jaws. <laughs> so we're right there. <laughs> Same thing. Before we get into it, before we sink our teeth in, hey, you already know these questions are coming. Uh, Kevin Bacon, hit it or quit it. Wow, we're just diving into yeah, that. Yeah, huh? I know. I, we got to get this out of the way right away. In this movie? Yeah. You're thinking about this way too much. I mean, the hair is just bad. <laughs> His Farrah Fawcett locks? I hate the hair. Ugh, I want to take him behind the middle school and get him pregnant. I've been... See, I don't know. There's a slow trend of me to like be aiming towards the beefier men, and I'm actually more into his... Uh, his Fred uh, Ward? Sidekick for Fred Ward. Girl? Yeah. I was more into Fred Ward than Kevin Bacon this time around. So, uh, wait, have you seen this movie before? No. But I've seen parts of it. Okay. But I imagine that if I had seen this at a younger age, I would have been all about Kevin Bacon. But this time in my, you know, autumn years, I'm looking at Fred Ward and I'm just like, hmm, I like a little salt in the beard, you know? So uh, Kevin Bacon's pretty like a girl in this movie. He's got like Farrah Fawcett locks. And like when he's like peeing off like the side of like the the cliffside, I was like, hmm, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Then they show Fred Ward and like there's a couple scenes with like close ups of his face and like honestly this time around i was like yes daddy i do (laughs) (laughs) yeah he's got kind of those like sleepy eyes those like sleepy sexy eyes and he's got that gravelly voice they're like yeah you can whisper in my ear yeah like kevin bacon is is attractive in a sort of uh, uh traditional sense and i watched this movie a lot when i was just you know young had no sexual feelings for anything at that point and i don't think i've watched this movie like since like coming of age sexually i see and watching it this time i was like fred ward is a good looking man mm-hmm. like you know kevin bacon is good looking in a traditional hollywood sense and like i said before not kicking that shit out of the bed and there are kevin bacon movies where he looks better he's cute don't get me wrong but like fred ward mm-hmm. fred ward can get it is what i'm trying to say yeah no like i definitely have like a 
a big thing for Fred Ward this time around. I hope that the, the, there was a little Brokeback going on in, in you know what? those Nevada <laughs> mountains. I liked... Your l- wrist was so limp. I liked... I liked... They, uh, at first, I was trying to look into it and think of like, oh, is there some sort of like sexual undertones? I mean, we are talking about worms here, which are super phallic. <laughs> but the more I watched, I was, I was more kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm happy with them just having a straight bromance. Like, yeah. That's actually more fun to me than trying to figure out if they're gay or not. There is a play for just hetero respectiveness yeah just two guys sharing each other's strength (laughs) i'm gonna imagine that like maybe one time they got like they ran out of gas and they had to like cuddle for warmth in their pickup bed (laughs) under the stars because they knew they wouldn't be able to get anywhere at night and Mm -hmm. like they both shared something but they never talked about it again or like let's just not talk about this and like we're doing this for warmth and let's just call it that but like you know they respect each other Mm -hmm. they uh, you know if it was if they were the last two people on earth they'd probably express that in different ways but here there's hot female students doing stuff so like they can go out that way hot female students finn carter uh, the hot student in question who like <laughs> went on to do nothing after this movie <laughs> i know i was like who's that which is too bad because I, I like the cut of her jib in this movie like she struck me as like just the right amount of like plucky seismologist students yeah. but yeah they're driving out there to like see her and like kevin bacon's like hard on is palpable and he's hoping for some magna cum laude pussy and they get out there and he, he's like you will have long blonde hair big green eyes world-class breasts ass that won't quit and legs that go all the way up wow way to be super shallow and sal- <laughs> superficial come on dude. and then they show her and it's like a little sad like you have to be that <laughs> it's like in mandy when like the dude like hangs dong and like the audience is supposed to be underwhelmed yeah that's sort of what like the female equivalent of this is like he's listing all these things for like the magna cum laude pussy like you know uh <laughs> archetype that he's building up and then we see her and she's just like plain jane student yeah until she gets that sunscreen off her nose, and then suddenly, it's like a, a the different sunscreen version. off her nose and the pants off her legs. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I had that note too. I was like, of course she lost her pants. She's the one character that loses her pants. I know. Also, I didn't believe that that barbed wire was only attached to her pants. It seemed like it would be digging into her legs. Well, sl- like slicing. there's the scene where Kevin Bacon's like putting the iodine on all the oh, cuts. Oh, yeah. You're right. You're so, right. Uh, Val is is his name. Uh huh. I do like this movie does a good job of foreshadowing. Honestly, like for a creature feature, this script is tight. Like the dialogue isn't super duper, but it does a very good job of sort of presenting like how these two, like they encounter problems, overcome them and try to move to the next thing. Like, cause they're trying to get out of town. Yeah. Like they don't want to live in perfection, Nevada their whole life and be handymen their whole life. And they try and get out of town and something keeps stopping them. They resolve that problem and try and get out again, which is sort of like how they approach the graboids, like the worm creatures in general. Like yeah. every time they solve a problem, it's only to like get into a new set of problems that their previous skills cannot equip them for. Yeah. And on the topic of the screenplay, like 
they do a good job of foreshadowing like the pogo stick, the freezer thing that malfunctions. The barbed wire, which is what made me bring it up, is like, you know, what's his name? Fred Ward cuts his hand on it, and then later on, she gets wrapped up in it. And you're yeah. Like, as soon as he did that, I was like, that's going to come back later. Something with barbed wire is going to show and up. And like, whenever you want to avoid like a deus ex machina type situation, like you, you have to introduce it in essentially act one to avoid a Almodovar's gazpacho. Like, yeah. It needs to be introduced in Act 1 so that it makes sense in Act 3, even if its introduction really has no bearing on anything. Yeah. But yeah, this I mean, I agree with you. This movie has a really tight script. I really enjoyed the tension level. Like, they ramp it up just right. It's really nice that the creatures are relentless, number one, but they're mm-hmm. not relentless like in Aliens, where you're like, I'm really tired you're never out of the fire yeah this feels like there's like moments to breathe and they're kind of figuring things out as the monsters are also figuring things out and like that's kind of fun to die hard because like part of the fun of die hard is that like every time bruce willis sort of like realizes what's up alan rickman also kind of figures out what's up and they like they play off the fact that they know that the other one knows what's up yeah the stakes also in this movie and we've talked about stakes before aren't super high we're talking about the population of this town 15 people yeah tops like so that's nice too and the people that do end up dying i mean you always know who's gonna die because it's like friendly old couple building their home i was like as soon as i saw them I was like they're not gonna make it through this scene <laughs> sorry guys and then the construction workers was another one I was like oh you guys you're not gonna be part of this script much longer so the old couple was the doctor and his wife and they were like making their house like out in the middle of nowhere i was watching this movie it's even was... like it's even like we've been waiting years to do <laughs> yeah. this or something like that I was watching this movie with someone and it was like, as the doctor was like getting sucked underground, his wife comes over with like a, not a two by four, but like a 12 by four or something. And, uh, the person I was watching with, goes, Oh, that was smart. And then the thing immediately breaks. He <laughs> was like, Oh, never mind." Yeah. You do have to take part of this movie with a grain of salt. It's a creature feature. Yeah. Like, this is, like, uh, like the same type of movie. Well, I mean, Jaws isn't totally uh, unwarranted, but, like, Slugs or Ants or something like that. Like, one of those types of movies. Yeah, yeah. But it also strikes a really great balance between, like, the scary stuff and the funny stuff. Yeah. It's just solid entertainment in that way. Even though I could see some things being projected, like yeah, but like almost every single review of this that I read, like after watching this again, had the word fun in there someplace. And this movie is just a blast. Like it's just a lot of fun. It's smartly paced. Like watching this now, like I can see why I watched this so much as a kid. Like a, my parents probably didn't care because it was all violence and no sex, Mm -hmm. and really the creature parts of this creature feature are pretty good. The worm, like, tentacle things that, like, shoot out of the Graboid's mouth. Uh-huh. Those are great looking. Like, A, the Graboids are great. Like, when their mouth opens, like, it really looks the in- like the inside of some creature's mouth. And then when they have these, like, worm dealies come out of their mouths, like, it all looks so good. The special effects company that did the Graboids, made the Graboids for this, they only had done one other movie before this, and we have reviewed it for the podcast. (gasps) Would you care to guess what it was? Muppets Take Manhattan. No. I don't know. Teen Witch. (laughs) 
what effects were there in Team I don't Witch? know, but I was looking up. I looked up the company, and it was just like, what else have they done? And they ended up. They did like all the alien effects from Alien Three on, and they've oh, okay. done all the Tremor stuff. Oh, they did Starship Troopers too. Oh, so like, cool, cool, I mean, it's cool, a pretty cool. big company. I wish I had written down their name, but I didn't. But I just <laughs> saw that the the only other movie they'd worked on before Tremors was Teen Witch, and I was just like scratching my head, thinking, <laughs> what were the special effects in that movie? I really yeah, don't remember. I really any. don't remember. It's funny, but it it's really good. Like I just like even when they're coming up out of the sand or like anything, I'm like this is solid stuff. Yeah. I mean, on the topic of the Graboids themselves, the poster used to freak me out. Like, I remember seeing it in theaters, and you know, they have the big ones, and mm-hmm. I think I even saw, like, a preview or two for it in the theaters for some other movie I was seeing. So, you know, I was, like, 10 at the time, so mm-hmm. that would have been scary. Yeah. But the Graboid that's on the poster is not no. the Graboid that you see. Like, they look different. So, this is a movie that I watched single digits, and I remember specifically, like, seeing the poster for it. Or maybe it could have been the VHS cover for it. Mm. I mean, like, this looks scary. And my dad mean like, oh, it's not that scary. Let's watch it. And then I watched it and, like, fell in love with it. Mm-hmm. Like, I seriously watched this on repeat as a child. It was this and Beetlejuice. Were movies. Sam, were movies for you. I, yeah, I definitely thought about that uh, <laughs> watching it this time around. But I don't know. Watching it this time around also, I was like, I can kind of see why, like, six-year-old me really liked this movie. Like, there's a lot of fun stuff in this movie. It's not that scary, too. Like, it only got a PG-13 rating, and I think it's one of the few movies that really earns that rating. Okay. Like, it's sort of like a Goosebumps, in a way, where it's like, it's scary, but not to the point that you're going to have nightmares scary. Yeah, and it's not like kitty scary, like Teen Witch. (laughs) (laughs) Like, this is a movie definitely made for, like, adults, but it's not, like, a grown-up movie necessarily. Like, yeah. this is someone who's, like... Th- th- like, I feel like the-, the target audience for this is, like, someone who's a fan of horror movies already, but, like, not slasher flicks necessarily. Like, this is definitely an extension of, like, the creature features of, like, the 50s and 60s. And really, like, I can't think of one that was done as well. Like, there's Slither that was done in, like, the early 2000s that was really good. You didn't like that one? I thought it was okay. But, yeah, if you're into those movies where it's, like, you know, nature gone amok or something like that, there's sort of a, a, you know, valley between, like, the late 60s and Slither, and this is all that there is. Yeah. And this one's also not as scary as Jaws, but it is, I mean, it's land Jaws, basically. But, like, it's... Yeah, the way that, like, the camera, like, it has, like, a Raimi cam, like, following you, like, on mm-hmm. the surface. And they have to, like, jump from, you know, island to island or boat to boat, if you want to think of it that way. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, it definitely has the, like, connotations of, like, I don't know. It's if, like playing hot lava as a kid. Exactly. That's where I was going. Okay. Like, where, you, where you play like the carpet's all lava and you have to jump from these things. So that also makes it sort of more like a kid's or like a younger person's movie. But it's not unenjoyable as an adult either. No. Like, it really hits that sort of sweet spot of entertaining and, I don't know, not even scary. I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure what worth the Venn diagram maybe? is. maybe? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like, watching it, I was like, oh, this definitely has just, like, base entertainment that a kid would be interested in. But watching it now with, you know, a technical viewpoint and seeing how tightly woven the script is, I'm like, oh, no, this is, like, actually, like, a well-crafted film. It's just, it happens to be about giant worms eating people. (laughs) I do remember, like, I think I might have caught 
parts of this movie on TV uh, growing up because I definitely remember the final worm dying, like going out of the cliff and like splatting and like the orange blood going out. Yeah! Can you fly, you sucker? definitely remember that i don't remember what's this uh general store's owner's name walter chang played by victor wong which i just feel like victor wong got the part and i was like okay he's got anglo-saxon name followed by you know vaguely ethnic name victor chang or victor wong we'll just make you walter chang boom (laughs) he's in big trouble in little china yeah yeah, I mean, he, he, if you watched any film that featured an Asian character in like the late 80s or any 80s to early 90s, like you've probably seen him in something. He's got that lazy eye. Uh, very distinguishable. He was in uh, Three Ninjas and Joy Luck Club and Three Ninjas Kickback. He was grandpa. Oh, okay. But I don't remember his dying scene. When he gets eaten by the gravel. That's pretty much the scariest In his own general him. store. Yeah. <laughs> It's kind of sad and the most jawsy moment, I think, but um, still very PG. <laughs> yeah, like there's not that much blood in it. Like there is when like the construction workers, because like you see like the safety helmet like after the fact. Yeah, but got, that like, just blood looked parts. like chicken. Yeah, like <laughs> it wasn't obvious that like a person had died. There was just bloody parts around. Yeah, or like the sheep too. There's that sheep scene. Right, right. I mean, the movie's not overtly bloody or overtly violent, even. Like, most of the violence, like, ne- kind of takes place, like, underground, so right. to speak. Yeah. But I think that that's sort of the strength of it is that, like Jaws, like, what you don't see is almost scarier than what you would have seen. Sure. Yeah. If I had seen this as a younger child, I'm sure that it would have scared me more because my imagination would have run wild with, like, being pulled into the ground and. Well, like the the scene where the doctor gets sucked under, like he gets pulled into like the the dirt, and that's mm-hmm. sort of scary because it it really looks like his face is being like pulled under the sand. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then his wife like hops in the station wagon. The station wagon Thinking gets pulled under safe. the ground. Yeah. yeah, and it's like the the fact that like the the station wagon is being pulled underground, and, like the glass out of the back window is shattering, filling up with sand. And it's being pulled under. Yeah. Like, that's scary unto itself, even if you don't see her being, like, eaten or ripped to shreds. I mean, flashes of Superman. Oh, was it really when Lois Lane and the earthquake or whatever? I mean, vaguely, but I'm just, I didn't think of that until now. But <laughs> And on the topic of, of the last worm, before I forget, because. You and I have had a couple of drinks tonight. I always feel like the worm going off the edge of that cliff is reflective of Earl always telling Val that he's not thinking far enough ahead. Because oh. uh, in the first act, Earl is always telling Val, he's like, Damn it, Valentine, you never plan ahead. You never take the long view. I mean, here it is Monday, and I'm already thinking of Wednesday. It is Monday, right? And here it is, this worm is like, careening towards Val 
not thinking what lies beyond Val. And so, like, to me, like, the worm's undoing was that he wasn't thinking what was beyond his prey. Mm -hmm. And that was his ultimate downfall. I mean, and that ties into the very first scene when he wakes up Earl by saying stampede uh-huh. and he's in the sleeping bag and he climbs he's like moves like a worm oh. off of the bed of the pickup truck and then falls out in the same spot like yeah. that's the exact same spot that the movie starts and it's just like that is tight writing <laughs> also i didn't take their name down because they didn't do anything of note really after this but they capture some beautiful landscapes in this movie. Like, oh my cinematography God. was fantastic. Like, constantly they're capturing, like, I hate saying this, but, like, the majesty of, like, being, like, in a valley between mountains. The West is beautiful. If you are living on the <laughs> East Coast, you are missing out on the most beautiful part of North America. There's so many scenes where it would just be, like, two people talking, but, like, in the background would just be, like, mountains and huge hills. Cloud parade. Yeah. It was it was just gorgeous, and I'm, I, I love it when people capture that sort of shit, especially when it, it really has nothing to do with the movie as a whole. Like, they do talk about, like, going to the mountains to avoid the snakes, but really, like, it was just scenery. Like, they're mm-hmm. just like, how do we make this scene look good? Oh, let's pull the mountains into this scene. And, you know, I wouldn't even, well, maybe you should. Maybe maybe we should throw this into the Western genre because it's like mm. landscapes play such an important part in that. There are a lot of blue skies in this movie. And uh, you got a small town being terrorized by some uh, nefarious agent. And you got two. So you think this is like a high noon of... Uh... The late night or early nineties. I mean, it's got a showdown. You got lots oh, of guns. You could count know. that last scene as a showdown. You really could. I don't know, man. It, maybe this is a western. Oof! You might have convinced me. <laughs> uh, no, that last scene is sort of a showdown. Like the way that, like he he. They're stuck on the rock. They've got those other two out there. He like... he, he shoots past the enemy who goes careening towards them. I don't know. Ooh, you might have convinced me. Mm. We have to talk about. Michael Gross and Reba McIntyre because they made me happy (laughs) and they made me sad. I had a lot of mixed emotions about their characters. Well, uh, so like, like I said, I haven't seen this movie since I was like single digits, but I watched it so much at that age. Uh, And when uh, Burt Gummer played by uh, Michael Gross, AKA the dad and family ties, Uh Doesn't look like the dad in Family Ties. Not at all. Just, Even though this is like just like a year or two after yeah. Family Ties ended its run. I didn't believe it until I read it on IMDb. But yeah, same guy. Early on, he's talking about like what happens if that grad student like discovers oil or some shit. And he's like, next thing the feds will be at our door. Sorry, time to move. Eminent domain. Down, honey, down. Like I know what eminent domain is now. But, like, the idea that this, like, you know, 1990 movie was, like, spouting. And I was like, good job, early 90s movie, uh, for knowing what that is and, like, working it into the appropriate character hey, in this clearly, film. whoever the fuck the writers were on this, I didn't write their names down. They knew what they were doing. Yeah. But also, in Family Ties, the dad is, like, a hippie. Yeah. Like, that's the contrast is that uh, Michael J. Fox's character is, like, the uptight, conservative 
Reaganite, and the parents are like the hippy dippy Woodstock holdovers. And in here, he's playing the exact opposite, like sovereign citizen, like <laughs> out in the Nevada desert with his water filtration system and his buttload of guns. I mean, here's the thing. Okay, so I love the scene when like they're holding up in their basement of their trailer. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> and uh, the Graboids coming in and they just keep, like keep shooting at it and then suddenly the camera pans over and they just have this wall of guns. Yeah, like, yeah. That's funny to <laughs> yeah. me. But then it sort of gets unfunny when they start like being like, let's get the elephant gun. Let's pull out the biggest one. And, like, at that point, I was just sort of like, I can't believe that humans invented a gun to kill elephants because they're not even like bad. Anyway, like that made me sad. But I came all the way back around again because like this movie harkens back to a time when America believed that our differences could be overcome when there was a common enemy. You know, clearly there is a political difference between Reba McIntyre, Michael Gross's characters and some of the other townspeople, but they managed to come together to fight this common worm enemy. And I just don't know if that is still happening today. Maybe in like Walking Dead or something. I don't really like watch a lot of that stuff. Well, a lot of those old horror movies, like they had the mentality of like, if we can just kill it, we'll be okay. Uh Like if we can just blow it to hell, we'll be fine. And he kind of embodies that, but it's like only in his bunker. Is that true? The moment that they have to get rooftop and the moment that, that they have to like battle these things like outside the bunker, they realize like, oh, we can't do anything. Like not even the elephant gun can do anything at, at this point. Yeah. But he's uh, the one who makes all the, he, they are the ones that make all the bombs. Yeah. It, it makes me believe that we can find a connection as American citizens again if we just focus on the fact that like everyone has specialities that we need to fight a common enemy. Like we don't have a common enemy anymore. I would argue Russia is now because they're I would argue that Trump shitty. is now, but not yeah, everyone agrees with I know, me. So, but that's a problem. But um, we need that again. This just harkens back to a time when it was, there were clear definitions between Americans and our enemies. And now that line has blurred so much that it's, Kind of frustrating. Yeah, because there's a scene where, like, the uh, teenage kid in town. Melvin? Melvin. Bert gives him a gun at one point, like, near the end of the movie. He's like, how does this feel? And and Melvin's like, oh, yeah. And then they get out there, and uh, Melvin realizes that the gun is empty. Uh (laughs) And Bert's like, you think I was going to give you a loaded gun? Bert, you asshole, there's no bullets in this gun. Even... Gun crazy Bert knows not to give a teenager a loaded gun. Yeah, that's common sense gun law yeah, right there. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> He's like, yeah, I'll give you a gun. It ain't loaded. <laughs> yeah. And even the the fact that they, they have those guns, not all of them, but some of them, specifically that huge elephant gun, locked up behind Mm. you know in a cabinet he had to break glass to get that elephant gun yeah like that is another thing where it's like okay this is common sense he did have a wall full of other guns that were loaded that i was like oh that's problematic but But at the same time with bert like you never get 
the inference that a he's an anarchist mm-hmm. like he would never use this against anyone who wasn't trying to take his rights away also like you you get the the implication that like he is well trained in all these things he and his wife Reba McIntyre because when time comes to use these guns they know how to use every single one of them yeah exactly <laughs> and they have a variety to work from so Bert was so popular from this movie that he starred in like entries three, four, and five in the franchise. Oh, wow. And was the star of the Tremors television show on the Sci Fi Network. Michael Gross? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He was super popular from his his character in this movie. Interesting. I wonder what his demo is, like his crowd demo. I mean, you and I, as leftist hippie left-wing communists uh-huh. both sort of appreciate his character yeah so if you were a right-wing sovereign citizen you would probably also appreciate that character yeah so he's hitting you know all four of the quadrants here yeah and i think that movie producers or television producers just saw like this guy's getting all four quadrants he's gonna be the star of the next movie Let's give him a show uh, real fast, just while we're on the topic of uh, Michael Gross and Reba McIntyre's characters, do you remember that Reba McIntyre used to uh, uh, be a country singer? Yes, and advertise her- Fritos. No, I just remember the the jingle, which is "I know what I like, and I like Fritos." <laughs> and sometimes at the bar, somebody will, will grab Fritos, and I'll kind of sing that to them, and I get like so many blank looks. <laughs> And I'm like, that was a huge advertising campaign. Am I the only In person? In 1989. I mean, come on. I did like her character here, though. Yeah, she's fun. She's actually a pretty good actress. Like Reba. I can see why she had a sitcom. Yeah, yeah. Reba. Reba. Yeah. Uh, side note: I don't know if you want to put this on the podcast. Friend of mine, she got diarrhea once. It was bologna and beans. Her boyfriend at the time was like, "What's wrong?" And she goes, "Oh, I had Rhea." And her boyfriend heard it as Reba. <laughs> so whenever she had bowel dysfunctions, they referred to it as Reba after that. <laughs> Which, nothing against Reba McIntyre, but I still use that to this date. Also, nothing against Reba McIntyre. I feel like she'd be fun to hang out with. I, no, I love Reba McIntyre. I mean, other than the song that played over the end credits in this movie, I can't, and the Fritos th- song, I don't think I can name a single song of hers, but. <sighs> Didn't she do The Devil Went Down to Georgia? The Charlie Daniels Band song? Yeah, I think she did a cover of it. Or that was Vicki Lawrence. <laughs> anyway, they're in this movie. Michael Gross and uh, Reba McIntyre as a couple. Who love guns? Did you like this movie? Yes. Okay. I will. I will say it is. It sort of falls into that category, like you had, uh, with like Labyrinth or something. You you talked about this on the Witches episode, where, um, if you didn't grow up watching this, you might mm-hmm. not be able to love it. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of in that category. Like I okay. appreciate a lot of things about it. And um, watching it now, I can definitely say that I think it's a good movie. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate all the script things. I appreciate the acting and the humor and horror balance. It's hard for me to love it 
because I didn't grow up with it. See, for me, that, that that's a little odd because with Labyrinth, it's because it like looks hokey. And for me, I feel like the creature feature stuff looks really good. Like when like the little worm things come out of the big worm thing's mouth, I think that looks great now. Sure. Am I blinded by nostalgia or does it actually like... Uh, it, does it look good and you're just not into it or does it look bad and I'm blind in my nostalgia? No, it looks good. It's it's the thing that like, it's one of those things where it's like you can't claim a movie for your own if you didn't watch it while it was out, okay. I think kind of thing. Okay. Like there's definitely old timey movies that I love like All About Eve or um, Mildred Pierce that I think are really amazing movies, but I can't say that I have the same emotional response to them that I do to say like the fifth element, which I actually saw in the theater. I mean, is this why we have 23 movies <laughs> uh, picked for, for uh, our first hundred films and the AFI only has three movies from the 1980s? Exactly. Yeah. Like we're obviously choosing movies that have an emotional connection to it for mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. So like, while I appreciate everything about Tremors and I really enjoyed watching it and I think it's a good movie, I can't get excited about it in the way that somebody who watched this growing up can. Okay. That doesn't bum me out. Like, I know that some people might see that as a negative review of this, but like, it's not at all. Like, I really did enjoy all of it. I just don't have that immediate, like, excitement for it that other people do you know if if i've learned one thing from doing this large marge sent us themed season mm-hmm. it's that movies from my childhood i don't need to take any notes on like beetlejuice and tremors like watching them like the amount of information that gets flooded up into my bloodstream like it doesn't get released until I talk about them on the podcast. Uh-huh. Tremors is not a deep film. It's not a, a sacrifice, Tarkovsky style, if no, but you will. It's, it's extremely entertaining. I mean, if you're not entertained by Tremors, there's just something wrong with you. <laughs> and I can 100% see why I watched this so many times as a kid. And watching it as an adult, I'm like, it's still great. Like, I'll watch it again right now. You just put it on. Matt. Ryan. Is there anything else about Tremors you would like to talk about? You know, honestly, I don't remember what we talked about, so. (laughs) Yeah, these whiskey gingers have been very stiff. Just like my boner Uh, when I'm thinking about. (laughs) Fred Ward. Fred Ward. Yes, Daddy, I do. I think it's time to Give me brain like NYU. I think it's time to. She might be little, but she's taking that pipe. Let's talk about it next week. My choice, my turn, my fucking turn to pick a movie, and I haven't had a chance since The Pact, which was a big flop. (laughs) Oh, God, that was like a month ago. I know, because of the buck and the double feature and blah, blah, blah. Now it's my turn to pick a movie. Sure. I was a little upset 
by your comparison to the AFI list and like how, where we rank on uh, the movies that we like by decade. So I'm really tempted to do something kind of old. Let's do it. Let's do a let's do a movie that's from the 60s. We're doing Victim. What the hell's that? It's a 1960s something British movie about a homosexual. I learned about this movie from the celluloid closet. And I finally watched it a couple months ago. And I think it's podcast worthy. I've watched the celluloid closet. I don't remember this movie. Yeah, it's an important one. Victim. That's my choice. Cool. It's very rare that you pick a movie that seems to be both important and that I've never heard of and that I've never seen. I aim to please. Let's plug our junk and go home. Wait, that's not the catchphrase. Let's plug our junk and get the fuck out of here. Follow us on Twitter at X-Rated Movies. Follow us on the website that we post all our shit on, xratedmovies.com. Follow us on Facebook at Rated X Movies. Follow us on email at x.rated.movies at gmail.com. And uh, make sure to go to the $3 Bill Cinema site and sign up there to see all the great queer films that they do. Shout out to $3 Bill Cinema. Womp, 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 womp. And uh, yeah, that's all the ways to find us. So. Uh, tune in next week for Victim. All right. Keep reaching for that rainbow. Rainbow.